This podcast exists for entertainment purposes only. Before making any investment decisions, please contact your financial advisor. Welcome back to the Man vs. Market podcast, a show where we break down the recent news, learn how macroeconomic factors influence markets, and research high-quality trades with the ultimate goal of beating the market. I also try to throw in some lessons on economics whenever I get the chance, and the best part is, I try to give you all you need to know about the coming week for the stock market in usually less than 15 minutes. Before we get started, I wanted to thank you all so much for helping me grow this podcast so far. It keeps me motivated to continue creating new content and uploading episodes. If you learn anything today, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend who could benefit from a podcast like this. Alright, let's get right into the markets. The stock market had another bad week as seller momentum continues to increase. This is typical in downtrends and can equate to larger and larger dips as we sell off further. The S&P 500 finished the week down about 3% and now sits almost 19% below its all-time highs. We are still flirting with a bear market but haven't quite met the criteria just yet. Again, a bear market is classified by a fall of more than 20% from the highs. We actually were down more than 20.5% from the highs intraday on Friday, but ended the day with a close just above that cusp. The hidden, bearish divergence that we talked about last week has played out pretty nicely. Interestingly enough, if we take the highs from May 4th and May 17th, we see a new, longer hidden bearish divergence forming. This is a bearish signal for markets, at least in the short to midterm. Also, after the early week rally, the SPY ETF hit some resistance at about 407.75, near the 23.6% Fibonacci level. This rejection furthered the case that the sellers are in total control and that we should expect some more bull traps going forwards. Quick disclaimer, I will be using the ETF SPY going forwards when referring to the S&P 500. During bear markets, or near bear markets, it is important that we remain cautious and keep positions lighter, as the swings we see are usually much more dramatic than during bull markets. It is also key to remember that some of the greenest days in market history have occurred during bear markets. With that being said, most indicators show that there is likely more downside ahead. The hidden bearish divergence and the resistance give bearish readings on the technical side, while high inflation and increased interest rates keep the market bearish fundamentally. As of now, I remain bearish and will give all of the benefit of the doubt to the sellers. Until we can see the bulls start to gather some momentum and create higher lows, it would be unwise to try and time a market bottom. Since World War II, it has usually taken 13 months from the market top for stocks to reach their new bottom while it has taken a full 27 months from that bottom to regain that top. Meaning that we should expect this recovery back to all-time highs to be a long and drawn-out process. Moving over to economic news, there are a lot of things that have happened recently and deserve a bit of coverage. This last week, the University of Michigan released their monthly consumer sentiment report for the month of May to very interesting results. The data revealed that the U.S. consumer sentiment had fallen to its lowest level since 2011. Fears of higher-than-average inflation over the coming decade, combined with fears that individual wage increases would not keep pace with inflation, were major drivers of this report. Sentiment on buying conditions for durable goods reached an all-time low in the survey's nearly 45-year history. 
It's a bit scary to see consumer sentiment at such lows because it can lead to an economic decline in itself. As consumers begin to believe that there is a recession on the horizon, they cut back on spending and start to save more money today to prepare. So while this may be wise on an individual level, on a macroeconomic level, this decrease in spending can wreak havoc on the economy. So this fear of a recession in itself can cause a recession. However, it should also be noted that the last eight times that consumer sentiment was this low, the stock market rallied an average of 25% over the next year. Yeah, you heard that right. 25%. So while things may look very bleak right now, the long-term trajectory is still upwards. This fits perfectly with my current market thesis of short to mid-term bearish and long-term bullish. If we want to take a look at how major companies view things right now, we need to just take a look at the most recent earnings reports. And we see they have a perspective very similar to mine. In the short term, there are still reasonable fears caused by supply strains and subsequently inflation. If you think recession fears are being overstated, then looking at the sentiment of major CEOs might change your mind. 85% of the S&P 500 executives that reported this last quarter mentioned inflation in their earnings calls, showing that even corporate conglomerates are suffering greatly. If company revenues are unable to match the rate of inflation, then technically they are heading in the wrong direction. And unfortunately for the economy, many of them are. The S&P 500 forwards P.E. ratio has fallen all the way to 17.6, a number that is below the 5-year average and much closer to the 25-year average. A P.E. ratio, or a price-to-earnings ratio, is calculated by taking a company's current valuation and dividing it by their yearly earnings. A forwards P.E. ratio is the same thing, except it's the company predicting their future earnings. This means that companies in the S&P 500 are predicting that with future earnings on average, it would take 17.6 years of earnings at the current rate to equal the S&P 500's current valuation. This number is a lot lower than it had been for most of the last several years, meaning a couple of things. First, it means that around the board, stock valuations are no longer ludicrous, and second, most companies have become a lot more pessimistic in recent days. However, some of their recent buyback programs are sending a very different message. Companies in the S&P 500 broke a record by repurchasing over $950 billion worth of their own shares from the end of March 2021 to March 2022. This is by far a record for a 12-month period, beating the previous 12-month period by almost $100 billion and goes to show that most companies are still bullish on their long-term prospects. Taking a look over at the cryptocurrency market, we are seeing new records being broken, and not the type of records you want to see if you are a crypto moon boy. Bitcoin has now posted its eighth straight week of losses. This is the first time in Bitcoin's entire history that it has closed the week red this many times in a row. Bitcoin is now down 55% to under 30,000 from its all-time high set last November near 67,000. And the cryptocurrency market has erased about 1.8 trillion in market cap since then. We are officially in a crypto winter. Interestingly, some estimates think that up to 44% of cryptocurrency owners might be minorities who are beginning to forego the traditional savings account in favor of the potential of crypto. 
It is estimated that around 38% of black Americans under the age of 40 are invested in cryptocurrency, compared to just 29% of white Americans in that same age range. Regardless, this last bear market for crypto has wiped out billions of dollars of savings and could potentially be a very overlooked recessionary catalyst. Now that we have a couple of episodes under our belt, let's go back and review how the positions I recommended are doing relative to the market. The holding time frame of these positions are still supposed to be till the end of the year. However, I think it will be fun to check in every once in a while to see exactly how they're doing. On the first episode, I recommended a bundle of sectors that would likely outperform the market. These were represented by tickers XLE, XLP, XLB, and XLV. Since the release of that episode on May 5th, the S&P 500 has dropped 5.78%, while collectively, these four sectors have outperformed. XLE jumped by 1.53% as oil prices continue to rise. XLV fell by just 0.25%, XLB fell by 3.87%, and XLP fell by a massive 7.7% after some poor earnings reports from some of the major companies in this ETF like Walmart and Costco. Still, these four on average fell only about 2.5%, mostly dragged down by the major collapse in XLP. So still, beating the market by well over 3%. Going until the rest of the year, it still seems very likely that these four sectors will collectively outperform the market. Looking at the most recent episode, we talked about precious metals and how they were likely to outperform also. Though this position has a much longer time frame, and it's only been a week, let's check up on it so far. Since the last episode, gold is up about 1.8%, and silver is up almost 3.5%. Our four positions have done very well so far, with the leveraged ETFs of UGL and AGQ seeing returns of 3.8% and 6.6% respectively. For our gold position consisting of two-thirds GLD and one-third UGL, we have seen a return of 2.5%. For the silver position of two-thirds SIVR, and one-third AGQ, we have seen a return of 4.5%. Together, these average out to over 3.5% for just the week, while the S&P 500 saw a decline of over 3%. This position has beat the market by over 6.5% so far, and this is just the first week. There is so much more upside to come. If you want to know the full positions and the reasoning behind them, go check out the previous episodes. The main topic I wanted to cover today is the strengthening US dollar. We have seen the dollar gaining strength at a rate that has only been replicated a few times in US economic history. Over the last year alone, we have seen the dollar rally nearly 14% relative to other major global currencies. And this is after the near 2% decline we saw over the last week or so. The question is, why? Well, historically, global conflict or uncertainty has led investors from not just the U.S., but everywhere to pull money out of riskier assets and into one of the more stable assets, the dollar. The Russian invasion of Ukraine and strict pandemic lockdowns in China have led to a mass rebalancing out of things like emerging markets and into either American stocks, bonds, and subsequently, the dollar. 
Also, commodities are typically denoted in dollars, and with prices rising around the board, the demand for dollars to settle commodities' futures contracts has increased dramatically. Also, as interest rates begin to hike at this accelerated pace, more investors are piling into the dollar in order to take advantage of the relatively high yields that can be provided from simply holding your dollars in a bank account. Like other lucky American travelers, my dollars are going to go a lot further than they normally would when I'm in Europe this summer. This is because the euro to dollar ratio is now just 1.06, down from a high of as much as 1.22 in May of 2021. And we are approaching Euro-Dollar parity for the first time since 2002. Euro-Dollar parity is exactly what it sounds like. It's when the euro and the dollar are essentially worth the same amount. The downside is that a stronger dollar means that it takes less dollars to buy the same asset, thus driving asset prices down. This leads American consumers to purchase more foreign goods while simultaneously foreign consumers buy less American goods due to the relative expense. So, a stronger dollar will naturally increase the trade deficit. Side note, the fact that we are seeing such high commodity prices despite the dollar being so strong is yet another reason to be bullish on commodities. So, if we look back at history, we can see a clear trend. Whenever the Fed has been aggressively hawkish, we have seen the dollar's value remain strong. And so far, it seems that hawkish is the only thing that the Fed has been this year, and likely won't change course for the foreseeable future. The ETF UUP is a great way to track the dollar's relative performance. This index compares the dollar to six other major currencies, including the euro, the Japanese yen, the British pound, the Canadian dollar, the Swedish Krona, and the Swiss Franc. Last week, UUP reached a level of resistance near $28 that was set back early in the pandemic. We saw a pretty sharp rejection as the dollar lost nearly 2%. However, there are several reasons to be bullish here. First, like we mentioned earlier, higher rates, increasing commodity prices, and geopolitical uncertainty have naturally led to a rally. Second, as we approached the 23.6% Fibonacci level near 2740, we saw a quick bounce, showing that buyers are willing to get into the dollar on every dip. Last, on the daily chart, a clear hidden bullish divergence continuation pattern has formed on this last dip. Again, this is when we see higher lows in the price action and lower lows on an oscillator like the RSI or MACD. I recommend buying some UUP as a hedge against increasing costs of commodities like gasoline. However, the timeline of this potential trade is much shorter than the other positions I've mentioned so far. I'm going to be entering this position with an initial timeline of 3 months. During that time, the strengthening dollar should offset the increases in inflation and potentially outperform the broader market. Though, because of global uncertainty, my position is going to be a lot smaller than normal. In three months, we will come back to this trade and evaluate. On the next episode of Man vs. Market, we are going to be talking about the unnerving possibility of a U-shaped recovery, and what that could mean for markets. If you know someone who might benefit from this episode or next week's episode, please share this with them in order to help this podcast continue to grow.
increased downloads allow me to spend more time doing research and create higher quality episodes, but so far the feedback and support have been outstanding. Also, if you don't have any friends and still want to support the show, please leave a review. That's the best way to help me grow Man vs. Market and allows me to reach a wider audience. Thanks again for listening, guys. I'll talk to you next week.